Let's have a word of prayer. Gracious God, we are so thankful. We're thankful for new families. We're thankful for the guests who are here. We're thankful that you brought us here. We're thankful that you've asked us to participate in your kingdom. We're thankful for those of us who were able to give blood. Father, we know that even if we combine all of our service together, it doesn't compare to the love and the sacrifice that you have shown us. And so we ask that we would continue to learn to be imitators of your love, that we would show the kingdom expanding in orange. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. So, six years ago, so this is 2018, in 2012, I'm not exactly sure what day it was, we had someone from the OC Weekly come to our church service. Now, the OC Weekly is like a weekly blog slash um, newspaper source online of some sort. We didn't know that this young man was here. But there was a gentleman who came, and he was writing a piece for the religion section of this OC Weekly, and he decided that he would come and check out what the Seventh-day Adventist Church was all about six years ago. Six years ago, I preached a sermon on the Sabbath. And I want to read to you what he said. I hope I edited out one of the words. So if not, I'm going to go by this real quick. Don't hold me accountable. Here's what it says. The OC seeker was warmly greeted by the saints, that's you, taking his place in the back pew and offering a hearty, happy Sabbath to his fellow worshipers. Sabbath worship, or more accurately, worship of the Sabbath, became readily apparent when we sang a hymn to the day of sacred pleasure, its golden hours we spend. Was that the same one we just sang? Yeah. Okay, so this is a guy who's never heard of Adventism, decided that he would come to church, to this church, so he can write a piece about the Sabbath. And Now, does it strike you kind of annoying where he says, more accurately, worship of the Sabbath became readily apparent? And I remember thinking to myself, like, no way, I didn't preach that sermon. (laughs) Still, even though the Adventists have a warped view of the Sabbath, one that cherry-picks part of what Christ declared an outmoded covenant, Osagara, that's me, said he grew to appreciate the day and respite it gives to world-weary pilgrims on the narrow path to glory. So instantly, and some of you read this back then, I was annoyed. I didn't reach out to him. I probably should have reached out to him and said, like, hey, come back on another day when we talk about something else. (laughs) But, you know, there is this sense that I think people see Seventh-day Adventists not for who we truly are. Oftentimes, how people see us as Seventh-day Adventists is merely a caricature of what they think we are. I just spent a couple of days with Adventists and non-Adventists, and one of the questions that always comes up is not about the Saturday, because I think most people, or a lot of people, know that on Seventh-day Adventists that we worship on the Sabbath. We don't worship the Sabbath, we worship the God of the Sabbath, but It's on Saturday that we come together. One of the questions that people always ask is, are you vegetarian? To which I answer like 90% of the time, I am. But people have this caricature view of who we are. Oftentimes they lump us in with other groups and we readily say, no, 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 we're not part of them and we're not part of them, we're our own. But when we see things like this, And it's been six years, I think, since I've preached about the Sabbath. 
I just had this desire to take a look at one of the stories or two of the stories of Jesus and really ask us as Seventh-day Adventists, why is Sabbath so important to us? Now, I'm not going to go from when things changed or we're not going to go into too much history. I simply want to look at Sabbath as a gift from God and why it's so important to us. So if you have your Bible, I want to invite you to open to Mark chapter 2. And this is, all, this is the last in our series on short stories with Jesus. Um, I'll be off next Sabbath, and then when we come back, we're starting a new sermon series, which we'll, we'll send out on email and let you guys know what's going on. But Mark chapter 2 says this. One Sabbath, he, meaning Jesus, was going through the grain fields, and as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. And the Pharisees said to him, look. Why are they doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath? And he said to them, Have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry and in need of food? David, King David, remember, like the hero of the Israelite faith? He entered the house of God when Abiathar was a high priest and ate the bread of presence, which is not lawful for any but the priest to eat, and he gave some to his companions. Then he said to them, the Sabbath was made for humankind and not humankind for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. I want to pause on this part of the passage. So often, as Seventh-day Adventists, even internally, what we do with the Sabbath is we make a list of all of the things that are not acceptable to do on the Sabbath. And if you grew up as a Seventh-day Adventist, you know that... Um, you could wade your feet in a pool, but you couldn't actually go swimming because that would be breaking the Sabbath, right? Am I right? Unless you accidentally fell in and you had to swim for your life in the deep end. You can't watch television on the Sabbath. Now, this is just my perspective, but you couldn't watch television on the Sabbath, but you could watch the Nature Channel. I don't, we didn't have cable. I never watched it, but I would go to friends' houses who did. But you see, we, we go through this list of things that we cannot do. And what was a gift then becomes a burden. What was something that was dreamed up by God before creation even began. God always viewed the Sabbath as this 24-hour period where you and I could be given this gift of rest. But so oftentimes, we take it as a burden. There was a time in my life where I would say that, and this was like, I was a pastor, so before I got here, I think, where I would say, you shouldn't take naps on the Sabbath, because I was reading Isaiah 58, and it said that on the Sabbath, we are to help the oppressed, feed the hungry, clothe the naked, work for justice, break the bonds of the oppressors. And so I would say, if you're taking a nap, you're missing out on the gift that God has given you to enter into his presence. I was a young idealist. But God gives us this day as a gift. You know, so often we think as Seventh-day Adventists that the things that make us different from other people, that people view us and then begin to think like, well, they're just crazy, they're just weird. And, and it's this kind of internal dialogue that we have with ourselves and within ourselves. But, you know, spending time with people this last week who weren't all Adventists were saying like, no, no, no. The things that you guys think make you crazy are the things that we love. 
They said, we love the Sabbath. The Sabbath is like the best thing that it can be given to us. They said, like the health message about being healthy, about what you put into your body, like that makes 100% sense. Like that's what science tells us. That's how we were created. What else did they say? There was something else. I can't remember what it was. But they say the things that you guys think internally that make you kind of crazy and marginalize you in the bigger Christian community is actually what us outsiders look at oftentimes and say, that's what I think I love and is amazing about the church. And so sometimes we have to take a step back and look and say, well, why do we believe and feel what we feel? And so it is so easy for us to look at the Sabbath and, and, you know, keeping it holy but sometimes it can become legalistic, and, and the word legalism simply just means that we feel like we have to earn our justification in the sight of God. And so often we set so many rules that instead of Sabbath being something we look forward to, then becomes something that becomes a burden. And when we look at Scripture, when Jesus says the Sabbath was made for mankind, it was made for humanity, God creates Sabbath and gives it to you. God gives it to you as a day where you are allowed. You are given permission to not worry about work. To not worry, my favorite, about homework. To not worry about the anxieties that are waiting for you on Sunday or Monday, on Saturday, on Sabbath. There is something special that happens where you get to enter into not just physical rest, but as the Bible tells us, we get to enter into the eternal and existential rest of being in the presence of God. And so this story tells us that Jesus and his disciples were walking through the grain fields. Now, if it was Sunday through Friday, right before sundown, and you were walking through the grain fields in first century Palestine, on those six days of the week, you, if you were hungry, they had a law that said that you and your friends could pick the heads of grain and you can eat it. You could do that. Like, it was lawful. It was okay. Now, it said that you couldn't come and harvest your, your, a stranger's um, field. You can't, like, take from them. You can't steal from them. But you can have a little bit if you, need, if you need some sustenance and if you're hungry. But on the Sabbath, that was unlawful to do. Because we know from Scripture that it, is unlaw- it was unlawful to work on the Sabbath. You couldn't do any work. And so the disciples, they were hungry. They needed some food. They needed some sustenance. And so Jesus, being Jesus, a teacher, a rabbi, also the Son of God, he says, fine, sure, pick some food. You're hungry. Like, common sense. Like, you're not going to starve. Just have some food. But the religious people of the day, they saw that and they said, why do your disciples do what is unlawful? It's, un, it's, it's not, you're not keeping the Sabbath holy. You're breaking the Sabbath. You know, you're going to be held accountable for this. And Jesus, instead of defending himself, instead of saying like, well, no, you're wrong, or I can do this because I'm God, or, you know, any of the millions of things that Jesus could have said, Jesus points back to a story in Scripture where David and his, like, warriors, right? So King David, remember, they... The New Testament talks about King David. Jesus is in the line of King David. Like King David is still a hero to this day uh, to our Jewish brothers and sisters. But Jesus says, don't you remember when King David and his valiant men, or, or some Bibles say his mighty men, the mighty men, the mighty soldiers of David, they were hungry and they went into the sanctuary. Now we call this building a sanctuary, but it functions very different than the sanctuary did in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, there was rituals and there was rites and 
And only a certain group of people, even the priests, could only go into the holy place in this sanctuary. So it was different compartments. I wish I had put a picture up, but I forgot. But within this one compartment, there was bread, which was symbolic of God. It was symbolic of God's providence and sovereignty, and it was symbolic of the God who loves them. And they called it the show bread. And only the priests could eat of it because it was considered, you know, sacred. But David, didn't matter if he was King David, David and his warriors, because they were hungry, they ate the bread that was not lawful for anyone but the priests to eat. You see, and so we see Jesus, and he uses their story and says, like, look, you're getting on my case, and all we did was eat a little bit of grain, but don't you remember your story where David, regardless of who he was and his stature in the community, he ate of bread that was only meant for the holy people of God. And so Jesus is continually fighting with these first century critics. He's consistently telling his first century critics, please come, experience life the way we've, you know, the way I, experience life the way I've come to show it. He says, yes, you have the Old Testament, and yes, you have these laws, and yes, those laws are good, but I want to invite you to see them in a different light. Because Jesus understood what we understand today. That you can follow all of the laws and still miss the spirit of worship and glory to God. You know, it's really easy for us to check off things off of a checklist and say, well, I kept the Sabbath holy because I didn't watch television and I didn't listen to the radio and I didn't listen to secular music and we didn't, you know, go out to eat and we didn't go shopping and whatever else, you know, our lists tell us is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. But you can keep the Sabbath holy and still be unkind and mean. You can keep the Sabbath holy in the sense of you didn't do any of the wrong things, but you can still have this nasty spirit within you and you can say mean things to other people. But because you've checked off the checklist of everything that is, that is not, because you didn't do any of the things that you're not supposed to do, you feel like you've kept the Sabbath holy. And Jesus kept inviting people to say, like, it's not just about the checklist, it's about the motivation of your heart. Because for Jesus, it was always about what was inside that was more important than what was on the outside. In Matthew, there are seven different statements that Jesus uses, in a sense, like he uses the word hypocrite to call out the religious people. Because he would say things like, you worry about what the outside of the cup, but the inside of the cup is dirty. Which is a metaphor for people, for them. And he would say, like, you keep living your faith externally, and I fear that that is what people see of us as Seventh-day Adventists, that, that, that we worship on the Sabbath as an external thing, where it's just like, well, we're Seventh-day Adventists, we keep the Sabbath holy, and so we must be better than everyone else. But the reality is that's not why we do it. I don't think so anyway. We do it because God invites us into his presence in a special way where we can say no to all the other things that get in the way of our relationship with God, and we can enter into God's presence. Not just here at church, but this posture of being in the presence of God all along. Now, I want to read a couple of quotes to you. Joshua Abraham Heschel. Abraham Joshua Heschel. I think that's his name, yeah. He's a rabbi. All of us Adventists love to quote from his book called The Sabbath. And he describes Sabbath as the Sabbaths are great cathedrals. 
Now, remember, when we think of cathedral, we often think of like those big, magnificent cathedrals that we see when we go to Europe or even just a bunch of them here. And they're, you know, smaller ones, but still beautiful cathedrals. And we often think that it's in cathedrals where God is present. And, and we don't have cathedrals in the Adventist church. But we think that God is more present here in this space. And so we call this the house of God. And God truly is present here. But Abraham Joshua Heschel says, like, yes, there are some places where we feel maybe the presence of God in a different way. But he says the Sabbath is our great cathedral in time. It is this 24-hour period because we often associate holy places where God is there. But God doesn't have to be in a mountain or in a high place or in a building. God is most present with us when we are open to his presence, especially when we think of this on the Sabbath day. You know, in creation, before anything or before even God was called holy, guess what was designated as holy? The Sabbath. The word kadosh, the word that is only ever used of God in Scripture, God assigns it to this day. Now, again, we don't do it because if we break the Sabbath, then we're not going to be saved. We don't keep the Sabbath because we feel like God is going to be angry with us. But we enter into the Sabbath because we know that God is present in a special way. Before anything else is declared holy, God declares a 24-hour period holy. Abraham Joshua Heschel says, "How How else express glory? What else, I think, is supposed to say? Glory in the presence of eternity, if not by the silence of abstaining from noisy acts. I think we can all agree that our world is filled with so much noise, so many things competing for our attention. Schoolwork, bills, work, relationships, broken relationships, unexpected circumstances. There is so much vying for our attention, but yet on Sabbath... God says, you can say no to those noisy things. You know, oftentimes we hear, we see in Scripture, especially in the story of Elijah, where God is present in the still, small voice. Some Bibles say it is in the silent whisper of God that we can truly hear his voice. But you can only hear that silent whisper when we learn to say no to all of the other noisy things. I know that's difficult. You know, some of you might be thinking, yeah, pastor, but you don't know that the struggles and the worries that, are, that I have to face. You don't know the stress that I'm facing, and so you don't understand, and so it's hard for me to even enjoy the Sabbath because I know that what waits for me on Monday is going to seem insurmountable for me. Like, I, know how, I know stress, and I think if you ask Kara, <laughs> she could tell you that when I get stressed out, I'm not the most pleasant person to be around. Trying to hold the laughter. I don't necessarily know that I'm like mean towards her. I just get like real quiet and she knows. Should take my own advice about putting what's in the middle. (laughs) But we know stress. We all have stress. But guess what? On the Sabbath, even though it's my work day, even though I get up here, it's almost as though all of those worries, all of that stress, all of that stuff that I keep like, you know, you feel like you, you have to deal with on Sabbath, I get to just say, not today. I'll get to it tomorrow. I'll get to it Monday. But on Sabbath is when we get to enter into this space where we get to connect with God in a special way and where you get to connect with other people. 
You see, Sabbath is a glimpse into what eternity will be like. Because what do we get to take to heaven? You get to take your fancy watch, your nice car, your, I don't know, your iPhone 10, <laughs> your retirement account, your surplus. Do you get to take any of that into heaven? No. What do you get to, what do you get to take into heaven? Yourself. And what we know 100% that we believe to be true is that when we get to heaven, we will be in the presence of God and we will be in the presence of others. However else it looks, I know the scripture talks about the streets paved in gold and all that, but, but you know, that's, that's still beyond what we can really comprehend. But all we know is that we're going to take God and we're going to be with each other. And on Sabbath, when we come to church, whenever we come to church, we get to experience this glimpse into what eternity can be like. Which is why as pastors, when there's conflict in church, it breaks our heart because, because we know that this is the best that we're going to get before we experience the fullness of God's presence. And so when we look at Genesis chapter 1, I want to read verse 1 through 3, and it says, this is the very beginning of how Scripture starts. It says, Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all their multitude, meaning everything, and on the seventh day, God finished the work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all the work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day, hallowed it, there's Kadosh, made it holy, because on it God rested from all the work that he had done in creation. You know, one of the things about this word rested is when we think of rest, we think of just this physical rest where, you know, most of you, you're working 40, 50, 60 hours a week, and then you have families to raise, and then you have other extracurricular things that you're doing. And for many of you, it's not just work, but it's the stress, it's the worry, it's the anxiety. And so when we think of rest, we think of, well, at least for 24 hours, I get to rest. Maybe I can sleep in. Some of you who who, uh, volunteer at this church and who have leadership positions don't sleep in. Some of you stay up late on Friday, continuing to work for the betterment of this community. But so many times we think that rest is just reduced to the physical and mental rest. But God didn't need to rest physically or mentally. The word that is used is Shabbat. It's, it's he enters into this time and space, this reality where he realizes he looks at all that he has made, and now he gets to sit back and watch. So to say that God finished the work of creation, the better word that could be used is that he ceased or he desisted. So I want to read this next portion to you. It's, it's like five sentences. Try to picture this. This comes from the book, The Lost Meaning of the Sabbath, by um, his last name is Tongstead. And so here's, he's talking about God finishing the work of creation, and he gives a mental picture. So listen to this. Think of Sabbath as a ship gliding into harbor after a long voyage or a train coming to a halt at a station. The meaning of ceasing is better appreciated by keeping in mind what went before it. In addition to the transition from activity to quietude, there is the expectancy of one person longing to see another. Now listen to this. When we think of the word desist, it connotates this image of a ship that's been out to sea and this ship is finally coming home to dock. Now the ship is filled with people. 
And the expectation is that these people, if they've been at sea for many, many months or years, and they come home, they're coming home, their trip ends, but it's not just, they don't stay on the boat, but they go then, and they are waiting to see the person whom they love. If resting has the connotation of a car that has been parked, ceasing to show the moment of it, never mind, forget that part. In the context of the creation account, the ceasing of work, the finishing of work, points to the joy of being with someone. Think about this. Like, this is one of those books I recommend everyone get. My mother-in-law bought it for me for, for Christmas, The Lost Meaning of the Sabbath. Last name is Tongstad. I can't remember his first name. It's like Sigve or something. It's a Eastern European name. But if you think about this, that on Sabbath, when God finishes, when God rests, it's not that God got tired. It's this connotation of his longing to be with his creation. You see, that's why Sabbath is a gift for us. It's not because it's a list of things we can and can't do, but it's because it is on the Sabbath that God enters into space with us and says, I want to experience you in a different way today. For six days you work, six days you worry, six days you watch this, that, and the other, six days you do the chores and the gardening and all the other stuff, but on the Sabbath you get to stop all of that stuff, all of the noise, so that you can enter into relationship with me. You see, when we talk about creation, we often talk about how it is only because of God's power, God's sovereignty, God's majesty that God was able to create. But we don't often stop to think that God creates all this for us, for you, and for me. I want to read this next quote. The reason why God refrains from further activity on the seventh day is that he has found the object of his love and has no need for further work. You know, when Seventh-day Adventists, we talk about Sabbath, what is so beautiful about it is that we can point back and say it is at that day that God had found the object of his love. Sabbath is relational. It is not this legalistic list of things you can't do, but rather God invites you into his presence. And you know, when you've experienced times of trouble and anxiety, sadness and depression, you will know that when you are in prayer or when you feel the presence of God, regardless of everything else that's going on around you, you know that there is this peace within you. And so when we look at Sabbath, we want to point to the fact that it is not about the day, but about the person whom created that day. And so I want to go to one more passage in Scripture. You know, whenever we, as preachers, preach on the Sabbath, you would think it's one of the easier sermons to preach. It's like, hey, you're a pastor. Like, you should just, there should be a back pocket sermon on the Sabbath. But the reality is it's hard because there's so many aspects to it. There is so much that can be said. The Sabbath is such a beautiful thing that people that are not Advent, Seventh-day Adventists also love the significance of what Sabbath is and have also learned to practice Sabbath. I know many pastors who, who lead churches on Sunday, but you know what they often will tell me is they'll say, yeah, but I know church is Sunday, but my Sabbath is on Saturday. Because they know our bodies were created with a cycle of six and one. 
you were created. The reason you get so tired on Saturday or when you're able to rest and sleep, like most of you probably don't nap throughout the week, but I guarantee you that most of us at least attempt to take a nap on Sabbath because our body just feels a little bit more tired because you were created that way. So I want to look at the last uh, verse, the last section in Matthew chapter 11. It's a verse that you probably never thought would go together with the Sabbath. And I didn't either. I never thought this verse really matched up with the Sabbath, but then I was in seminary one day in my preaching class. And my preaching teacher, or what we call homiletics, was Dwight Nelson. Now, some of you know that name. He, was, he is the pastor of the uh, Pioneer Memorial Church on the campus of Andrews University. And his class was postmodern preaching. And part of the assignment was that he handed out to us the texts that we were going to preach on. Because his idea was, if you pick the topic, you might already have a sermon. It's not going to take any work. It's not going to take any effort. So he gave us two verses, and he says, you have to make those fit together. Not by some form of magic, but because they do fit together. And so this was mine. This isn't the sermon I preached, by the way. I don't know. We didn't have cloud-based storage back then, so I have no idea where any of my schoolwork is. Also, it doesn't bother me because I passed, so that's all that matters. (laughs) But this is the second verse that he gave me. And it says, come to me. This is Jesus inviting you. Try to picture Jesus saying this to you. Come to me, all you that are weary and are carrying heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. On the seventh day, God rested all throughout the Old Testament. The Israelites are invited to stop and cease from work. And the reason that God tells us that we don't have to worry about work on the Sabbath, it is because, and this is where I get really like legalistic about Sabbath. (laughs) On Sabbath, you get to stop worrying about advancing your place in the world. Six days, you can work two, three, four, five jobs Make as much money as you, you try to make as much money as you can. Do whatever you can. Try to advance your place in the world six days a week. But on the seventh day, you stop from that. Because on Sabbath, it is when we depend on God to provide for us. You see, in the Old Testament, the, the fourth commandment specifically says that your animals, nor your servants, nor your family, nor anyone should work. Like, that is the prescriptive text. It says, on that day, don't work. Which was another way of God saying, on this day, you don't have to worry about bank accounts. You don't have to worry about paychecks. You don't have to worry about advancing your place in the world. Because Sabbath is a reminder that God will take care of you. It may not always feel like that. And it may feel like you're getting to the end of your rope. But the reality is that on Sabbath, we don't worry about working or advancing our place. Because God takes care of us. Remember in the Old Testament when the Israelites were out in the desert for 40 years. For 40 years, God rained down bread or manna from heaven. No one really knows what it is because the word manna simply means, what is this? Yeah, like, what is, what is this? I don't know. And the Bible reminds us and it tells us that on six days of the week, God provided them just enough for what they needed. And on Friday, God would give them a double portion, and he would say, you can only on Friday can you take a double portion, because tomorrow you don't have to worry about picking up this manna, because you have already been provided all that you need. 
So when Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary, all you who have anxiety and worry, those of you who are worrying about what is coming on Monday or what is coming months from now or whatever it is, he says, all you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. I want to pause there. The yoke, we often think of yoke with an oxen, you know, so oxen or some sort of animals. It's like this yoke and it's heavy and it's how they pull things. But it was also a rabbinical way. So like a rabbi would say, take my yoke, which is take my interpretations of the scriptures. Take my teachings. Take them. Learn from them. Follow them. He says, my teachings I am gentle and I am humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You know, the reason that the teachings of, I mean, I know I always say, like, yeah, the teachings of Jesus are hard sometimes, because if you have someone that you have to forgive, that can feel like the hardest thing you have to do. It's hard to be generous. But the beautiful thing about what Jesus calls us to and the life that he calls us to live is that he fills us with the power and the ability to be able to do the hard things. So Jesus says, all you who are weary, heavy laden, all you who are sad, who are depressed, who are anxious, all you who struggle with the existential angst of why in the world am I here, he says, take my teachings. Learn from me. Because it won't be a burden. It'll lead you into a better life. He says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. But my favorite part is where he says, and you will find rest for your souls. You know, so when people ask you, well, why do you go to church on Saturday? I don't think that our best response is to historically go through all the reasons why we believe that Saturday is the seventh day and this day. Like, that doesn't win anybody over. But perhaps what we could say is, because on Sabbath, God invites us in a special way into his presence and in his presence I have rest so when we enter into this 24 hour period of time it's not about the things we can't do or the things we can do but it is about being in the presence of the God who creates all things unfolds all things and sustains us Amen Thank you.